Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you guide and lead us as we look at this scripture that we're looking at today. And ask you just to show us what you would like us to learn from this. And thank you for those that are here and those that will hear in the future. And we just thank in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 12. And this is another one of these long list of names, but it's got little bits and pieces all through the all through this list of names. So, now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheutiel, and Yeshua, and Siriah, and Jeremiah, and Ezra, Amariah, Melech, Hattush, Shenechariah, Rehum. Merimoth, Edo, Ginetho, Abijah, Mayanim, Mayadiah, Bilka, Shemaliah, Shemaiah, and Joyerib, and Jedaiah, Salu, Amak, Hikiah, Jedediah. These were the chief of the priest and their brethren in the days of Yeshua. So we have a whole list of here the, of priests, and we're told that they were the priests in the days of Yeshua, and Yeshua was one of the pre high priests that, we, that we've been talking about. Moreover, the Levites, Yeshua, Benui, Kadiel, Sherubiah, Judah, and Mattiah, which were over the thanksgiving, he and his brethren. And Thanksgiving, these were the individuals who were over the singers of praise. And remember, we've talked about this at times. In the temple, we had a, a number of the Levites who were assigned to basically sing and, and produce praise and play instruments. And in David's day, they, he, he had already set it up that they were going to play basically 24-7, <laughs> you know, 365 days a year that they had music in the at the time tabernacle and was set up for to go into the temple. So the temple has always had music to praise God. And which is where we get a whole lot of our praise, praise ideas for our, our services. But these were the individual the Levites that were in charge of the praise. And Bakbukiah and Unai Uni, their brethren, were over against the watches, and those were the ones that were watches our guard. So they were they were the those two were in charge of the guard of the of the temple. And Yeshua begat Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim begat Elishib, and Elishib begat Joyada, and Joyada begat Jonathan, and Jonathan begat Jadua. And in the days of Jehoiakim were priests, the chief of the fathers of Sarah Mer. Merahiah and Jeremiah and Hananiah of Ezra, Mishulam and Ahariah and Jehoanan and Meliku, Jonathan and Shebaniah, Joseph. <laughs> Finally, one easy one. Yep. <laughs> of Harim, Adna and Meraroth and Helkai. And Edo, Zechariah, Ginnathon, Meshulam, Abijah, Shikri, of Minamin, and Moadiah, 
and Vilkai of Vilka Shimnua of Shemariah, Jehonatan, and of Jenerib Matinei, and Jedediah Uzi, or Uzi, <laughs> of Salai Kaliai Amak Eber, of Hikiah Hashabiah, of Jedediah Nathaniel, the Levites in the days of Elishab, Jehoiada, and Eli, and Johanan, and Jadadu were recorded chiefs of the fathers, also the priests to reign of Darius of Persia. So we're going back over a long period of time, okay? We're going back to Yeshua, which was mentioned in Zechariah. He was the, the high priest before the captivity. Now we've gone through a number of people through the captivity, and we're now into the reign of Darius. And he's just going through the genealogy. And genealogy was very important to the Jews because you had to prove your, house. Your, your, your family. What tribe are you from? Why do you have the right to, do, to live where you belonged or to serve in the temple or whatever it might be? The genealogy was important. If you were going to be wanting to be king, you had to be part of the tribe of Judah. If you were going to work in the temple, you had to be part of the Levites. So we get this, and every once in a while we get these long lists of of names and for them they're very very important and they and we look at our history the same way it's you know we we, we just don't recognize these names like they do uh, for us it would be Abra uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, George Washington uh, all these you know great leaders of our country and, and it, there used to be a time when you would follow their their sons and you know and their grandsons and say okay you know you're part of the Adams family and and you follow that list down and say, well, you know, because I think of the Adams family because there's a long list of great leaders in our, in our history when you study that family. Uh, their mothers did a great job raising up kids that went into service for this country. And so this is what we're looking at when we see these things. I mean, we kind of look at them and say, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> Just a bunch of names, you know, they don't mean anything to us, and we have a hard time pronouncing them and a hard time understanding them. But, you know, we look at this and say, here is this list. And they're really tracing their roots. And we see that in the beginning where the generations track, track from Abraham through, through his children. We see it from, from Adam through, through the line of, of Seth and say these are the righteous Godly, godly individuals that are somewhat holding on to God's, God's truth until you get to Noah, one man out of all the entire population of the world, and we follow it through, uh, through his fathers and his, you know, his grandfather Methuselah and his, and his father Lamech, and then to Noah, and we see this generational line that goes through and says, these are the godly ones, and then we we follow beyond that into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we follow in, you know, through, the, through the lines to get to Moses eventually. And we find the lines between the time they went to Egypt to the time they came out of Egypt. We find that line, lineage in Chronicles where it gives a straight line <laughs> listing of who was born to who and, and how long they were there. And 
we find out that they were in Egypt for four generations of, of people. And so we, we, this is all kind of interesting stuff when you finally tie it all together from other books and, and you see these names in other places and you get to start knowing these names. And this is why I encourage everybody to read the Bible through each year so these names start to, oh, I remember reading about the, this guy someplace. I may not know where it was, but I remember this name someplace. And very important for us to be, get to that point. And where did I leave off at here? 24. 24. And the chief of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, Yeshua, the son of Gadmiel, which were the brethren over against them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, over against Ward. So here we have another list of people that were in the singing, the singing group. They were in charge of giving praise and, and giving thanks. And this is very you know, interesting that they were to make praise and they were to give God thanks. And that is give him law, give him praise. And this is what God is always looking for from us. And true praise and, and of God and giving thanks to him is to just you know, thank him, you know, build him up for what he's done for us. And I love it when I hear those testimonies, your testimonies about how God is changing you and moving you along and how God has blessed you. And, you know, God has done great things and we need to recognize that it's him that does it all because it's important. If we think somehow we got lucky, you know, we, we, we assign it to just random chance or, you know, look what I have done in my life, we're going to be in trouble. When we recognize that it's God that's doing it in our life, we put the emphasis on the right place. When we start getting blessings because we've honored him with our finances, we've honored him with our actions, and it is part of the reaping and sowing. We do the things he wants us to do, and then we reap great reward from it. The, the idea, like you were saying, that you don't fear people because you've got nothing to be held, held over your head, you know, so and it's... And I've got nothing to hide, to cover my tracks. And it makes it real easy because when you know that you've been honest, you know that you've been doing things the right way, then you have no fear of people. In your, and I've seen people who fear other people because they've got so much to hide and they're worried about something coming up and, and they get fearful and then they get, you know, all kinds of... Paranoid. Paranoia and, and all kinds of problems in their physical being because those things create a physical side effect as well. And this is why it's important. The more we search out God and try to seek after God, the better our life can be because we're not, we're not going to have the physical effects of the psychological to start with. And this is wonderful when we start getting there because fear and paranoia have bad effects on the body. You know, beyond just the nervousness that, has, that we get, but it has detrimental effects on, uh, effects on the body. And this is one of the reasons why when people get saved and they really turn their life over to God, even their health gets to be improved to a degree, as long as they're not abusing their body. But that should also start, stop as you're, as you're serving God. You stop abusing your body as much, and your health generally gets to go up or at least held steady where it was at. And all because we honor God. There's spiritual blessings, physical blessings, financial blessings, uh, psychological blessings, everything that comes by honoring God. 
because he is good. And when we start obeying his righteous activities, our whole body starts to respond. Our whole spirit and soul starts responding. And it's not going to mean we're going to be in perfect health by any, 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 you know, we're still going to get sick every once in a while. We're still going to have problems, but they become less and less. And I've told people, you know, I haven't had the flu, had a flu in probably 30 years. And that was the last time I took one of those stupid flu shots. <laughs> Now, I, I tell the doctors every time they ask me to take a flu shot, I don't want to take a flu shot. I've, I've successfully gotten the flu shot but all three times I've taken the flu shot, so I'm not taking them anymore. Uh, but overall, I'm fairly healthy. I mean, very rarely do I get <laughs> sick. And most of it is because my, my mind is stable with God. My, my, I, I live a lifestyle that's generally a healthy lifestyle other than I eat a lot of food I shouldn't eat but but in general I keep a healthy lifestyle and God is saying give thanks be be with him have your mind stayed on him uh, and it's wonderful because we make better decisions when we're stayed on him we make better decisions when we're in his word we make better decisions the more we're around him and he rewards us with a better lifestyle all the way around and so we look at this. These group were in charge of praise and giving God praise. Verse 25, Mataniah and Bachbukiah and Obadiah and Meshulam, Talmon, Aknanub were porters keeping the ward at the thresholds of the gate. So this, this, group of this group of men were in charge of the gates. They were the porters and they opened and closed the gates and had had a degree of guarding the gates and so they were the porters verse 26 and these these were in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Yeshua the son of Joadak and in the days of Nehemiah the governor and, and Ezra the priest the scribe so now he's brought them all the way back to their day the day that they're in and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, psalmistries, and harps. All right, so we have the dedication of the wall, which is actually, he's now given us a little history because we've studied the finishing of the wall back a while ago. The wall is, he, when they got ready, he's given us a little more detail, when they got ready to dedicate the wall, they asked all the Levites to come to Jerusalem. Now remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how the people were all over the place, all over Jerusalem, living in their tribal, their, their tribes' uh, territories. And remember that they had to do a kind of a lottery. One in ten had to come, were, were drafted to live in Jerusalem because most people didn't want to live in that city. I mean, it's just getting started. It's, but they wanted the city to be the most populated place because it's the capital. So they basically said, okay, one in every 10 people have to live in Jerusalem. Now that would be like coming to the America and say, okay, we're gonna start a new capital, it's empty. We're gonna, we're gonna take one in 10 people all across the country to live in Washington, D.C. And that's basically what they're doing. They're trying to say, okay, the capital needs to be filled. And that makes sense. You want your capital to be a showcase city. 
uh, when people come, you want it to be, but in, their, in those days, they wanted the capital to be populated. populated. They wanted, they, you know, when you went there, you wanted to see people. I think everything's in a And circle. if somebody was coming, as we get back here, the, 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 for the dedication of town, they've called the, the Levites back, and whether they're trying to do during the dedication is for gladness, for thanksgiving, which again is that praise and confession, for singing, cymbals, psalteries, and psalms, uh, harps. So the music is being provided for in this, and the psalteries are kind of like a harp, a guitar type thing, and then they've got the harps. And it always mentions cymbals. The music of the Old Testament was not quiet, mellow music. It, had, it obviously had to have some kind of beat because you don't put cymbals in, a, in songs that have no, no volume or anything, which probably means there were some drums. And you know, I, I don't think they listed every piece of instrument uh, out there uh, that they were using. There's a psalm that talks about all the different mus uh, musical instruments they used. And this is why when I, when I meet some, especially the older people in churches that you know, believe that all you should have for in, a, in a church is a piano and maybe an uh, organ because yeah, they grew up with organs. We had all, the, all these instruments listed because their praise was going to be, in, you know, when you praise, instruments make a big difference in praise. Acapella was one thing. You can, you can praise God acapella on it. You can do a good job with it. But when instruments are in, in, in introduced to worship, it, it does make a change in how they're done. And I would love for our church to eventually get some place where we could have some instrumentation and having some guitar players and stuff. It would be an, a great addition to our worship. And someday God will give us the, the people. <laughs> because I can't play a guitar very well. I can play the notes, but that never sounds like a song. <laughs> Verse 28, And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together both out in the plain country around Jerusalem and from the villages of Nephtothalimthi and of the house of Gilgal and out of the fields of Geba and Asmareth, for the singers had built their villages around Jerusalem. So they were gathering up the Levites, they were gathering up the singers because they actually were part of the Levite families. Uh, because remember, we've talked about this, especially in Psalms, that Asaph was part of the, the, tr the family of the singers, and so his family was singers. I'd hate to be part of Asaph's family and, not be, and be tone deaf. Would you can imagine your, 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 your family's supposed to be singers and you're tone deaf. I don't know what that per poor person would do, because you can't imagine everybody in his family were good singers. Uh, so, but his family was part of that singing group, <laughs> the group, uh, family that was to do singing. And verse 30, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. So they're, they're offering the washing of the people. And, and in Exodus 30 and Exodus 40, we see the priests purifying people. And that involved the blessing on them, the accepting of the, their, the sacrifices, and also include a ritual washing. Not a full bath or anything, but there was a washing that was involved in this purification ceremony. And so here they are, and they're, they're purifying the people, the gates, and the wall, or sanctifying them, as the case might be, and saying they're holy. God, is, God has instituted them. And we're seeing this. 
great revival. And we've been talking a lot about the revival of Nehemiah's day. Remember, it started with the people coming to, the, coming to Nehemiah and saying, we want to be, hear the word of God. We want you to read the book of Moses to us. And remember, we talked about that. They, they spent an entire morning standing, listening to the word. So that would be, by definition, morning could be as early as 6 o'clock and going to noon. So as long as six hours just standing there hearing the book of Moses read. And when, the, when we read book of Moses in the Old Testament, that means all five books. Okay, because originally the name of the books weren't, was not Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and, and Deuteronomy. They were the book of Moses. And they kind of broke them up, book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And sometimes if you have an older Bible, they'll be referred to that way. Genesis, first book of Moses. And you'll see that oftentimes, in especially older Bibles. I don't know if the newer Bibles are still doing that or not, but some of the older Bibles would say, first book of Moses, and then would subtitle it Genesis. My Bible says the first book of Moses, okay. commonly called Genesis. Okay. So yours is still, yours, you've got one that's old enough still doing that. I don't know if mine does that anymore because mine, it's, and you depend on how much information your Bible gives us, you know, mine says the same First thing. First book so. of Moses called Genesis. Yeah. I didn't know that all the newer ones were still doing that, but, but because the first, they used to be, in the Jews just call them. The book of Moses. Book of Moses. First book, second book of Moses, third book of Moses, fourth book of Moses, fifth book of Moses. Uh, and that's how they've always identified it. So when you read in the Old Testament and say they read the, they read the book of Moses, at that point they're telling you that they read all five books because that's what they did. And there's a certain sects of the Jews that the only thing they really accept is the first five books. And they call it the law. The Pentateuch is called the law. And if you read... When, you, when you're reading in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament and they, and they refer to the law, they're referring to the book of the five books of Moses. And the rest of them, and then they would just go to the books of history. And that would be from Joshua through Chronicles. And then they talk about the prophets. And when they're talking about the prophets, it's all the other books. So that just helps you as you're reading through the scriptures. They, they talk about the law the history, and the prophets. And so when you see those words, you can know what part of the scriptures they're talking about. And the very, very, you know, there, there's a sect that's so strict that they go, the only books that are important are those first five books, the law. The rest of it, we don't care about. And they care about the history just so they could track taking over, and because the history books are all about the conquest of Canaan and the setting up of the kings and then the cat going into captivity. And a lot of the times they don't like the prophets because the prophets tell them how bad they are. Is it the Torah? Uh, the Torah is another word for the, for the law. But when you see it in the scriptures, they're just going to call it the law. The, they would refer to it outside that as the Torah. And the Torah is only the first five books. So that will help you as you kind of hear things, you know things. And then there's another book that's the rabbi's opinions about the, about the writings. And, and those have become not quite scripture and canonized, but they're, by especially the Orthodox Jews, they consider that, I can't remember what the name of it is, uh, they consider those writings to be 
next to next to the, the, the canonized works. And uh, they explain those books. And some of it's interesting. Some of them, there's, there's some good insight in some of it. Some of it's not good. <laughs> but uh, a, lot of, a lot of great rabbis have written in that. All right. 31. 31. Then I, and this would be Nehemiah, brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies that gave thanks whereof one went on the right hand of the wall toward the dung gate. So he's taken the leaders and he split them into two groups. And one's going toward the dung gate. And if you've got that map that I gave out probably four or five weeks ago, it's got the, 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 the gates. You can kind of follow where they, where they all went. So we've got one group going upon toward the dung gate. And after them went Hoseiah and half of the princes of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, and Meshulam, Judah, and Benjamin, and Shemei, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemei, the son of Mataniah, the son of Machiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph. So we've got Asaph in here going in, you know, and they're going with trumpets or the so. Uh, so far as that you, you see the big ram's horns that put out a very loud noise. And so half the group was going that way. And his brethren, Shemaiah and Azariel, Milaiah, Gilei, Mei, Nathaniel, and Judah, and Hananiah, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe before them, so now we've got instruments going up on the, on, the, on the wall. We're getting ready for a big celebration. <laughs> big celebration. This, this whole chapter is about the celebration for the dedication of the wall. It's, it's done and they're dedicating it. And so this whole chapter is on that dedication. Verse 37, And at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went, they went up by the stairs of the city of David at the going up of the wall above the house of David, even into the water gate eastward. And the other company that gave thanks went over against them, and I after them, and half the people upon the wall from be beyond the tower of the furnaces, even into the broad wall. All right, so we've got this group, and they're going both directions, and they're going to be on opposite sides of the city. <laughs> okay, it's basically what he's saying. Opposite sides of the city, we're going to have these people going up with all the instruments and everything. Verse 39, And from above the gate of Ephraim, Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, and the tower of Hananiel, and the tower of Miah, even unto the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me. And the priest Eliakim Masiel, Mas, Maasiah, and Minamin, Micai, Eoniah, Zechariah, Hananiah, with trumpets. So we got trumpets on this other side of the wall. And Masiel, and Shemiel, and Eliezer, and Uzi, and Jehoyanan, and Malkiah, and Elam, and Ezra, and the singers sang loud with Zeruiah, their overseer. 
So we're getting ready for praise, and it says the singers sang loud. I hope they sang on key too, but they sang loud. <laughs> and they're on the walls. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. I love this statement. It was heard afar off. I don't know if any of you all have been anywhere near a stadium during a big sporting event. You know, San Diego, you might have. Or a rock uh, concert or something. Or a rock a rock concert, but I really think of stadiums when I think about this, because we in well, Baltimore, we lived in Baltimore, and and the Memorial, Memorial Stadium was like five miles away from my house, and when the and when the Colts or the the Colts or the Ravens toward the very end played, and the cheers would go up. You could hear the cheers from miles away. At a big game. At on a big, big game, game. You can hear it at my mom's house. Yeah. You get a big game in these stadiums with 70,000 people cheering, and you hear it a long ways away. This was God praising of God that was being heard afar off. And it doesn't define how far off, but we can figure the city had, you know, several thousand, you know, tens of thousands of people in it. They're up on it. And then many of them are up on the walls and their elevated area. And they're singing and the instruments are playing and it said there was loud singing and they're joyful. I could picture that it was being heard three, four, five miles you know, away. And if you could you imagine how the enemies that were around about them that had been battling them, all of a sudden they're hearing this joyful singing from Jerusalem. And it's got to strike some terror in them, like, oh, what's going on here? But this whole idea, I don't know how far that praise was, was being heard. I, you know, it doesn't tell us, but it was being heard beyond the walls. And it says, afar off. And I've been around, like I said, I, I picture this because I've been around stadiums in, you know, at various times in my life, and I've heard this cheers. When I was in... In Brunswick, Maine, we had a small college there, but they had a good-sized stadium, and you know, in that case, we only lived about two or three miles from the stadium. But on, you know, you could hear on game day the cheers. People got excited. And it's wonderful when you read this that people got excited enough to praise loud enough to be heard far away. And sometimes I, I wish that our churches would get that excited about God when they're singing their songs and singing praise. Can they be heard? Could they be heard somewhere other than just inside that building? And it's just that how can we get people more excited? I would love to see that excitement. You know, it's, it's sad when you think about people getting excited to watch some sporting event, you know, and being cheerful and making noise. Uh, sometimes you can even hear it around people's houses when they have a party, you know, for a game and, and people get excited and cheering. They can't even hear them because they're watching TV. And yet, you know, not that you're going to hear them for miles, but you can go outside their house and know that they're watching the game because all of a sudden they're, yeah, yeah, whoa, you know, and you know that they're excited. And then you come to a church and people don't get excited about God. And, you know, and that bothers me to a degree. 
can we get excited about God? Can we sing praises to him? We had canned audience at the studio. We push a button and we go, yeah, you can hear them screaming like you're live. No, we want live, we want live people cheering and we don't want to use canned cheering. Yeah. <laughs> Applause. Here we go, push the button. Everybody praise God. Yay! Applause. <laughs> Everybody else in this place is silent while it's on the speakers. No, we, we don't want that. We don't want that for it. Like uh, on applause. <laughs> I'm so, just joking. I know. But but you get what I'm saying on this. You know, when we're singing, I love it when I can hear people praising God and getting into the getting into the joy of, of God and and singing and like a revival um, meeting. But <laughs> just it should be common. And it should be what we find because God is there and we should be willing to say, I want to praise God. And that's the whole thing. I love to praise God. I love to sing songs. Nowadays, uh, people get annoyed if somebody praises God. And, it's, uh, yeah, sometimes that happens. It's annoyed that the other person is making noise, and that's bad. It should be everybody. It happy. should be that we get excited. When we come into the presence of God in a, in a corporate setting, we should be excited and, and worship God. And yet, But I've seen people sit on their hands like, no, can't, I can't can't raise my hands, I can't sing, I can't make noise because somebody will think I'm a fanatic. Yeah, you're but they'll go to a sporting event and scream themselves hoarse and come home not able to talk for three days. They have fear and paranoia that somebody, others will think of them. Yeah, and not, not be able to talk for three days because they cheered their team on to, you know, hopefully victory. <laughs> but they won't come to church and cheer and make noise for God. And it's always kind of bothered me but it is what it is, I know, and you know, eventually people will loosen up and, and praise God. But the scriptures talk about it. I mean, these people were singing loud enough. I'm sure they couldn't talk for days after this, after this event because they're being heard afar off. David talks about making a loud noise before God. Right. You know, okay. He says, make a joyful noise before God. People think a church is a factory of sorrow. You know, the funerals and weddings, and, you know, it's like uh, some of the, it's supposed to be a solemn place. A very, it, we've been taught as kids, Amy and I had been taught to be solemn and quiet. If you didn't, you were going to be beat by the teacher. And, you know, so you have to be quiet, and that solemnness is... But that's not a scriptural point. That's not been, a scriptural yeah, way of worshiping God. It's been trained into us yes. or, uh, by religion. Mm -hmm. And religion has been, it's a very, you know, it's a quiet place, it's a respectful place. And I'm not saying make noise that's not respectful, obviously, but no. you know, we should be able to get excited about God. We should be excited about Him. He's given us salvation, He's given us life, He's given us great blessings, and there should be an excitement. It was great, my daughter was up here and she was singing all the time song, Christian songs as we were driving around, so we were singing and, okay. and praising God in the car. And it's, it, it's just something that we need to get to this place of, are we joyful? You know, when we're joyful, we're gonna be more likely to make noise and, and ex be excited than when we're afraid to death After God. service, I hum a tune all day, you know. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because God wants joy from us. He wants us to know that he loves us, that he's being kind to us. And you're right, religion teaches us to be afraid of God. Because we've got to wonder if we're being good enough. And that's where, you know, I like to describe it as that whack-a-mole, you know. The people are so afraid of God, they're afraid to stick their head up and look around to God because they're afraid that he's going to beat them over the head. 
And that is not the God of the Bible. That's the God of religion. The God of religion that says God is standing up there ready to smack you every time you do something wrong. And the Bible tells us he loves us enough that he sent Jesus to die for us and he wants to crucify our flesh and let us live for him. And that should bring joy. David understood that. He was joyful before God. And that included all, you know, the fact that he kept having to run, run for his life you know, so many times. But he also understood that God loved him and he was ready to embrace God. And he would come to God and say, for, I'm, I'm seeking your forgiveness, I'm seeking your joy, I'm seeking what, what you have. And we see that area that says, be joyful. And so I love this place where it says, they heard the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. And I love that, the joy of Jerusalem. Now it was God they were worshiping, but it was joy coming out of this, this town that was being heard. Verse 44, and at that time there were some appointed over the chambers for the treasury, for offerings, for the first fruits, and for the tithes, to gather them out of the fields of the cities, the portion of the law, for the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced, for the priests and the Levites that waited. Okay, so at this time he's given appointments for people to collect the offerings. And we just see different types of offerings here. The, for offerings, for, fruits, for, for first fruits, and remember we talked about that just the other day in, in, in Numbers. The first fruits were the very first things that were harvested. That first harvest belonged to God. And then and you were by faith saying, okay, we're going to have something for the second, third, fourth harvest. Interesting was we learned uh, Wednesday night about the Levites taking on the firstborn of the people. Taking the place of the firstborns. We're taking the place of the firstborn. I, I've learned that before, but it never sunk in yeah. until last uh, That's what they started way back at the beginning of Numbers on. It really sunk in on Wednesday night. Yep. Thank you. And then they were to gather the tithes. They were to gather them out of the fields of the city, the portion of the law, for the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced for the priests and the Levites that waited. And if you think in Numbers right now, in, on Wednesdays, we're in chapter 18, which is what this exactly is talking about and we just started numbers 18 last last wednesday that was talking about how the levites were provided for by the tithes and the offerings that came in and in in the jews case the priest did not have land of their own they had several cities that were cities of refuge and they had a very small ring around those cities that they could grow some crops in, but the majority of their support and food came from these tithes and offerings that were distributed to them. Uh, and we see in, in their day, the priestly tribes of other nations, the, the priests were usually wealthy. They were provided for by the king, the king, the king fed them. The king gave them land, or if they didn't have land already, and they were exempt from taxes from the government. They were very powerful groups, the priests in other, in other nations. They, they basically could run the kingdom if they wanted to, you know, and they gave the king, and king good advice, hopefully, or they went against the king, and if they went against the king, the king would be deposed fairly, fairly quick but they were very powerful. 
And then in God's case, the, the, the priests were dependent on the people to honor God. And if the, the better people honored God, the more they had. And we see when we're reading in, in Kings and Chronicles, we see times when the priest basically didn't even come to the temple because nobody was given anything, so they had to work that little bit of land that they had as best they could to get fed. And, and then we have the other kings where God was being lifted up and the gifts were coming in and they, they were able to live very well. By Jesus' day, the priests were almost trying to run the, run the government. You're talking about prosperity. The more they would give, the more prosperous they were. Well, that's true. The more the people gave them, and they would be prosperous because God blessed them, blessed the people in return. And then they would have more to give to the, you know, ideally it would work in a nice circle. You, they gave their tithes and offerings. The, the priests had plenty to live on. They got blessed so that they could give more to the priests. I see. Uh, so, but over time, they would go ebb and flow back and forth. And there were times when nobody gave anything to, because they were so much in their idol worship. And very few people were coming to the uh, temple to give tithes and first fruits. And you know, we, we get this idea of, the, of Israel being this great company, the country that always did what they were supposed to, even when they were in the middle of idolatry. But there were times when the temple, I mean, in Josiah's day, when he became king, he said, let's clean the temple out. And the temple had become a junk collection place. It took him a week or two just to get all the garbage out of the temple because it had become a place to just store things. It was just a big storage, you know, warehouse, basically. And even worse, trash got dumped into it. So we see, when you get into the scriptures, you see this ebb and flow for, the, for Israel's worship, where sometimes God was totally ignored. Other times, the God would be exalted. And unfortunately, the times that he was ignored were more often than the times when he was being exalted. And so we, we see this whole process going on and, and people would then be read the word and we saw in Nehemiah how it's the first time that these people had read the word of God because they'd been in captivity, scattered all over a kingdom and many of them had not heard the word of God. They had some stories and they still celebrated Passover and you know a number of these things and they had this kind of knowledge of God but not fully understanding God and then when they would read the word all of a sudden it pierced their heart. Look at all the things that we're not doing that we're supposed to do. And it would be the same thing as we get into the word of God and we start saying, oh wow, God you really want this, you want that. You, you, you know, the more we read it, the more we get convicted of what we're doing wrong and be able to correct, repent and, and go forward. Verse 45. And both the singers and the porters kept the word of their God and the word of purification according to the commandment of David and his son Solomon. Verse 46, And in those days David and Asaph of old, there were chief of the singers, the songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the portions of the singers and, and porters every day his portion, and they sanctified holy things unto the Levites, and the Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. And again, we're seeing the completion of what is supposed to be done when, as we're getting ready to get into that portion in Numbers. 
the people gave their gifts. The, all of those gifts belonged to the Levites, specifically the priest, you know, but to the Levites in general. And then the Levites made sure that their portion went to the priests. And then remember we talked about in chapter 17 how the priest had to give a tithe to God as well. So God got one-tenth of the one, of the one-tenth, but he got it through the priests. And the leaders all the way through had to give their part, give their sacrifice. They weren't able to just say, well, okay, we're just taking all the tenth, you know, we're not giving, giving it out. They had to take what they were given and, and give their tenth to God. Well, I let God encourage people. I don't, <laughs> I just want to teach what God says. He says give 10%, so it's up to people. You say uh, God will take it. I think God will take it if you don't give it. And in the New Testament, it says, be a cheerful giver. And when people go, well, the tithe's not mentioned in the New Testament, number one, I don't think that's the necessarily a true statement. But God, in the New Testament, intensified everything. So he goes, you know, if you think, if you have, if you're angry at a brother, it's the same as murder. If you've had a lustful thought, it's, you know, like adultery, so okay. How much more than, you know, when people tell me that, you know, it's not in the New Testament, I go, okay, so how much more than the 10% are you planning to give? You know, uh, don't tell me that God doesn't want, want that, that gift because he's very clear that it is a blessing to give to him. And also, it's just showing that it belongs to God anyway. Everything we have belongs to God. And the more we realize that it belongs to God, the easier it is to give. And when you start giving, you get blessed. And as you get blessed, you give more to God, hopefully. <laughs> Sometimes it works the other way. People get blessed and they stop giving to God and then they start losing everything that they were blessed with. But God is saying, just honor Him. And it's important for us to honor Him. It's important for us to give to Him everything and realize that He owns everything. And I personally believe that God wants at least a tithe of our time, if not more. I think he wants all of us, but, you know, a minimum that we need to give him a tenth of our time. You know, give him 16.8 hours a week or 2.4 hours a day, whichever way you want to go. But, uh, you know, so this says, how much time are you giving to God? Are you getting into his word daily? Are you praying daily? Are you spending time with God? And this is important. Are we truly saying, God, I'm giving you part of, part of my most precious thing that we have is time. You know, it's pretty easy to give money to God, you know, really. Because you know, what is money? It's, not, you know, it's, it's important, but it's not the ultimate. The most valuable thing that we possess as humans is our time. It's not in the Bible, time is money. And no, it's not. It's, <laughs> but but time, is, time is precious because we only have... 24 hours a day. No matter whether you're rich or poor, you have 24 hours in every day to do with basically how you want to do with it. So God is saying he wants part of each of our day to be devoted to him. And hopefully we give him more than our, a tithe of our time, but do we give him at least a tithe of our time? And for some people, it's not even close. They come to church one hour a week and that's their... That's their token gift to God. I feel sorry for them. I really do feel sorry for people that live that way because they're not experiencing God in the way that he wants them to experience him. I love spending time with God. I love listening to preachers. I love praising God with music. I love serving God. 
And of course, I'm the pastor and I'm paid now to do some of that, but I've always done it in the past even. And I, I've said this over and over. I've always gone, other than that three years that I walked away, I've always gone to church and done something. Not just go, but done something. Praise God, listen to preaching, teach. And it's so important when we go to appear before God that we are planning to really serve and listen. Because everybody who is teaching with God's anointing is going to teach something that's important. And I don't care how new they are. Am I going to get wowed by everybody that speaks? Not necessarily. I mean, I've sat in and listened to your, your class at time and just said, okay, that was an interesting point made or somebody else made. And, you know, just listening and, and, and seeing how people are being blessed. And, Encourage others. And it's wonderful to see these things and know that everybody who's teaching and been anointed and has studied, because you can't present the Word of God without presenting something that's going to help people build up. Now, somebody could come in and say, well, I'm just not going to learn unless I'm getting wowed. Now, and I'm long past being wowed. I mean, I've been taught for 44 years. I mean, it's, there's very few times where I get this, real, this something said that like, oh my goodness, I've never heard that before. You know, I now will hear a slightly different variation of what I already know or a different concept of what I, what I know or a different angle. Those are the good ones when you hear somebody say something that's never been thought of, that I've never thought of before. What's wonderful about that is they probably don't think they've said anything really that important. It's something that's really simple to them, but it struck somebody else very interesting. And this is important for us because God is ready to anoint anybody who's, who's wanting to, to seek him and use them. And it's an amazing thing when God uses you and sometimes he uses you when you when you least expect it. You're just talking to somebody, and all of a sudden something will come out that God is just for that one person, or you know, it just is an anointed point in time. I talked to one, one young young man at the prison yesterday, and we talked for about 40 minutes, and just gave him different things and and talked with him, and it was a great time. And I don't know what he learned or didn't learn, but God gave me little things to just drop into the conversation and, and bring, it, bring it out to him about spiritual things. And you never know what God, when God's going to have an appointment for you that's spiritual. You talk all the time about talking to different people about God and inviting them to church and stuff. And I'm sure every once in a while you get something said. All right, we're going to close today. And we've got one more chapter in Nehemiah, which will probably be done next week. And then figure out where we're going from there. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you each each day and, and many times throughout the week as a, in a, as a group. We ask that you just guide and lead us as we go forward today. Teach us to be joyful and to and give give praise to you that that is wonderful and, and edifying and that you will teach us to, to be joyful in you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.